Hello, everyone. This is another episode with uh, Candid Crack. Today we have Neelam. How are you doing today? Hi, Oscar. I'm great. How are you? Really well. And on the other side, we have Richard as well. Richard, how are you doing? I'm not bad at all, Oscar. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, for the people that are new to Candid Crack, um, explain to me, Neelam, um, a little bit more about yourself, your background. So I used to be an investment banker. And from my personal experience of heightened levels of stress, um, I led me to burnout and feeling noticing how the stress was starting to affect my body. And that's really when I was led down the wellness journey. First and foremost, it was for my own self-healing. And, um, you know, I came in contact with different ways of self-healing and different ways of finding a balance again and, you know, putting um, my health in the center point of my life rather than just noticing it once something breaks down. Um, and then once... Once I got onto that journey, I was so inspired that I decided not to go back into finance and instead to help, you know, to help propagate this because I feel like it was something that it was a gap in the market. Um, I would see my colleagues and they would be equally stressed and equally burnt out but the ways in which they were coping were very different. So I wanted to really allow them an access point of healing from within and that really brings about a management or a balancing from the stress um, with when it comes to stress-related illnesses. Um, so that led me to launch Inspire Yoga um, about 10 years ago now and we focus on customized programs. So customized programs of yoga, breath work, meditation. So it's creating that symbiosis, uh, like a symbiotic approach of mindfulness and movement, you know, bringing both of them together in the same platform. Um, and then organically we grew and we're also offering corporate wellness, taking it from instead of just the one-on-one -on -one individual coaching to now, you know, working with organizations and, and groups of teams to really bring about a collective heightened awareness around energy, around health, around creating boundaries that are sustainable. Um, so you, you, as you probably know, Neelan, Oscar and I are a little bit skeptical about some of the, the well washing that goes on where there's, it, it's just like buy a yoga mat and, and get on with it. So I'd like to sort of start because you, you've obviously gone through that, that stress and, and that burnout and fade out experience yourself. So yeah. So, so you obviously take it very seriously. So, so if it's not too painful, can you just explore that sort of that, that experience that, that, that brought you into this world? You know, what, what actually did you go through? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a derivatives trader and, you know, the constant pressure of time with the market moving and just being able to chase prices. I was on the trading floor in my early 20s, very... At, at one side, very proud of my achievements for being there and, you know, pioneering a sense of, you know, bringing women into the trading floor with, where it's quite masculine or a very male dominated area. Um, and what really, I don't know, I felt like I was just noticing how 
all of us, we were suppressing stress, uh, whether it was just relying on caffeinating through our day in order to keep that alertness or attention high. Um, you know, I had colleagues next to me stand on their standing desks, others sitting on a stability ball. So, you know, it was very clear that there was some breakdown in the body in terms of physical pain and tension, uh, whether it was neck, whether it was shoulders, but more often around the spinal column with back pain. And that's something that really triggered me too. I was, uh, I experienced lower back, chronic lower back pain in my mid twenties to the point where, you know, my friends would be out dancing the night away and I was literally just limping home. Um, another thing that really made a difference was, uh, or something that, you know, we can kind of have it under wraps and just say, oh yeah, I'm okay. I'm coping. I'm coping. Things are okay. But one of the trigger points for me was also just feeling exhausted from it doesn't matter if I've had six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours of sleep, waking up and not feeling that I was ever at a charging station, you know, that I ever felt rejuvenated in my energy. So I was just feeling like I was going from um, a sense of depletion to further depletion, where it obviously affected my mood, it affected my relationships. I wasn't able to bring my, my best to any scenario, um, because physically I didn't just, I didn't have the capacity to, or I was also in pain as well as that. So I think that's the point that I feel, okay, some, I need to draw a line. But having said that, Richard, there was so much pride as well of being part of this job and being part of the industry and, you know, connecting at a level where, oh, Everyone looked at me with a sense of esteem. Oh, you've accomplished so much so young. So it was very, very hard for me, even though I could see the deterioration, it was very hard for me from, to separate from that role, to separate from me as a banker, you know? And then I, I really saw the importance of being well in terms of not just for ourselves or how we feel, but also what we bring to our workplace, right? So very, very quickly, I couldn't bring my A-game to my work, to the workplace. I was missing trades. I was feeling um, demotivated. I wasn't able to really be excited about the, the projects that we were undergoing. And so of course, um, that led me to also feeling really unfulfilled in the workplace. So this was around GFC time. So lo and behold, I, I was laid off and getting that redundancy slip was almost like a weight lifted off my shoulders because it was a decision I couldn't make on my own. My pride was getting in the way to actually separate and say, okay, I need time for myself. But it was also an opening for me because it was literally that same day that my yoga teacher had said, oh, Neelam, you've been practicing for 12 years now. I think it's time to be a teacher or you're ready right. to be a teacher. And it was then where I rolled my eyes and I thought I can't quit my day job. But that for me was such an indication of, of timing and synchronicity. And that's the first thing I remembered uh, once I was free from the job, I said, oh, now I have the time and I have the capacity and I wanna do this for me, you know, just to invest in the summer to, to bring myself to feeling whole again. 
Um, but lo and behold, the, the journey changed from there. So I want, I want to probe a little deeper in, into one of the things you said, and partly out of selfish self-interest, is it's, it's something I'm, I research myself. But this idea that you, you both loved and hated the experience of being in the bank mm. uh, and the fact that you couldn't let go of your pride and do this yourself. So I'm just wondering if this, you know, the, these intense feelings, so this, is, this is ambivalence, you know, I strong, ambi both, valence, strength, so these both strengths. Do you feel that that was potentially pulling you apart? Oh, yeah, for sure. There was that inner conflict, you know, and I think that compounds to stress, too, where you on a on the one side, you know that it's an ego boost. It's something that, you know, you're so attached to. But then on the other side, you know that it's not good for you. It's actually um draining it was actually draining me so I definitely saw that inner conflict is really where the the stress came from you know um when when we're at at the workplace and we are aligned to the values of the work you know we can pull all-nighters but feel energized by the work because we're so excited you know I've I've done that as a startup I've done that launching my business but it wasn't about the workload. It was more about the, the rumination, that inner struggle of, oh, I don't want to be here, but I have to. That sense of head and heart as well being polarized, um, that really created much more of a, a stress response because there wasn't an inner integrity that I was operating from. So one more question before we go down into how you solve this. If you, yeah. hadn't, been, if you hadn't been laid off because of the GFC, what where where might you have gone how much darker might it have got 100% that's why i really feel that you know getting um, be made redundant was such a blessing for me because it was a line drawn in the sand for myself right and um i felt a relief but i also didn't have the courage to draw that line myself um I, I honestly, that's a very good question. And I can't tell you in hindsight, I can't tell you where, what my parameter would be because um, I could see the impact it was having on my relationships. I could see the impact it was having on my health, um, on my physical, the physical tension, the physical pain that I was in, undergoing every day. I remember even at the time, you know, my parents were like, is this all worth it? Um, but then, but then I think it was the celebration of, oh, I've worked so hard. I've done so much. All of, all of my studying and, you know, being at LSE brought me to this place. I can't now throw it away. It's almost like um, that surrender is a weakness. Right. And so almost so. I guess I, I know I was there were days at, on the trading floor where I was experiencing panic attacks. I was experiencing heart palpitations. Um, I was definitely experiencing a restlessness in sleep, um, issues with my gut health. But when is it too much? That's a big question. Because I, even now with clients that I see, it, a lot of the time it's, they come to me not because they 
come with a proactive sense, but because they've been admitted into hospital or because their doctors are saying, this is what you need. You know, it's almost being administered for them. So I think that's also why such a big part of the vision that I have is around self-awareness because we'll, you know, with these blinders on, we let the ego or we let our sense of pride take over our sense of self. And uh, then it can be a very dark road, you know, where thankfully there was a, a way out for me. But for a lot of people, you know, I, I see that even with substance abuse, um, it just becomes such a strong mo- coping mechanism that it's very difficult to change, change paths. So it's very, it's, it's interesting what you, what you thought would give you sense, sort of coherence and purpose and meaning didn't, wasn't giving it to you, uh, but you get locked into believing that maybe it still will. And it, it's still, if you keep on doing it, it'll come, even though all of the evidence is, is, is all the evidence is otherwise that it's breaking you down. I wonder if, if that, if that was going through your mind, if you just, oh, if I just, it, it'll eventually get there. The, the purpose will be there. I th- I think for me, it was letting go of this, the f- notion that money will solve everything. Okay. So um, it wasn't a, for me, it wasn't that, okay, one day I will feel fulfilled in my job. The feeling that, oh, without this fat paycheck, am I still me? Mm. That's that's a very interesting reflection. Without the fat paycheck, am I still me? To my self worth at that time, and so um, oh, we we just lost we just lost a bit then. Can we oh, just can sorry. we just go back to? Um, um, yeah. So I I think for me it was also my relationship with money. You know, seeing that paycheck as such a security blanket that it was coming from a place of fear to let it go, rather than a place of Um, fulfillment of what I'm going to do next, you know? And so I definitely did equate my self-worth to my net worth. And when that happened, then it's so intertwined, you know? And so it's no longer about feeling that inner coherence, but really about maybe chasing the carrot and uh, continuously going in that sense. Fascinating. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Neelam, um, yeah, you covered quite a few different things here. And um, one thing that you mentioned, so you were now clearly very successful at a young age. Um, and, and now you basically transformed uh, yourself into an entrepreneur. Um, I just wonder, I mean, in, and I know this is always really hard, right? But if you look in hindsight, if someone else would have spoken with you, would you have changed? Because if you talk now to people that come to you and they're in a similar situation as you, they're stressed, they're overworked, um, you know, they're depleted, they don't have the energy. What can you, how do you actually help them? Because would, if, if someone would have come to you, let's say 10 years ago, what's, what would have made the difference uh, in terms of what you do right now with other people? So that's why such a big approach that we take is around mindfulness as well as movement, because the whole purpose for me when it comes to yoga or when it comes to practice is holding a mirror up, right? And creating that sense of self-awareness of, okay, where is the stress coming from? 
And for me to see that underlying fear and what is the fear of, you know, oh, breaking down this role because it's attached to pride or it's, a it's attached to a sense of a false sense of security or maybe a limiting belief that I can't do anything else. I've, I've worked, you know, 10 years to get to get to here. I can't now just up and leave. So more than giving people the solution, we just bring a sense of awareness of, okay, when we understand ourselves on a deeper level, then we're able to sculpt better solutions for ourselves. Um, rather than it being a one-stop shop, it's about dynamically exploring and understanding, okay, where am I right now? How can I, um, how can I just make micro changes to make an impact or a difference in terms of how I feel? And so a lot of it is also just energetically, how do I feel when I sit here? Do I feel like I'm expanded in this role or do I feel quite constricted and quite tight? And, and that tightness is what we try to help release, you know, and that's why the movement comes, you know, and that's why even the breath works, work comes so that we can breathe a bit deeper, we can feel a bit more, we can move with more expression as well. So, so yeah, I think quick answer is self, self-awareness. You know, if we don't know ourselves, what we're ex experiencing and we just keep going on on a continuous loop, then we can never get out of it. So that understanding is so important. So, so there seems to be two things that you've, you're breaking it down into. One is this awareness of a sense of self um, at multiple levels. Mm -hmm. and, and two is a re-energizing of, of, so, so um, I mean, are, are they separate or are they inter integrated? What, what do you do to, to, to help people have this, this awareness of the sense of self? And what do you do to help people re-energize? That's brilliant. That's a brilliant question, Richard. One word, meditation. So when we are able, when we're, you know, moving into a practice of meditation, that brings us, what we do is we start to delete a lot of the roles that we're playing. We're just being here and being now, right? It's not about what we're doing. It's not what about what we're creating. It's not about the regrets of the past or the worries of the future. It's right now. And so in that stillness, in that quiet, that's where we recalibrate, you know, and um, that's in that meditative state is also where we finally plug into that charging station. It's when we are able to feel a much deeper energy than, um, than what ends up draining us. You know, I'm sure you, I, there were days where I would just sit on the couch, but there was so much going on in my mind that I'd be exhausted, not even lifting a finger, right? So this is exactly the antithesis of that. Sitting and being so clear and so, um, open without the concepts, without the mental chatter, so that we can connect to a much deeper energy as well. So yeah, you're right. There is, we can only get to that place, we can only get to that charging station, when we are aware that it is there, right? When we are aware that actually, these thoughts, these, the, the constant jittery, um, anxious kind of rumination, it's not helping me, it's actually taking away from my energy. 
So when we have the awareness that we can actually sit back and witness, we don't have to jump on to each train of thought. We can witness and let it pass and feel more of an open, quiet um, entrainment, then that, that itself is energizing. Okay, so 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 one level is quieting the mental the mental chatter. So so what what actually happens to mental chatter when you go you know, go back to that work self? You know that yeah. that when when the self is fragmented or split or or, or the lack of coherence. You know what what is this mental chatter saying to people? And yeah. Then, have, have you got any examples of of, of yeah what, yeah what what's going on in, inside the head that you need to quieten? Absolutely, I think it's. It's that sense of like, I'm doing, right? And so, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm um, handling this, I'm managing that. And in, in all of that doership, if that's really what we're kind of attached to as our primary role, then is it ever enough, right? What are we oscillating between? As, as somebody who, achieves and accomplishes and we're only in that primary role what two states are we accomplishing uh, what two states are we oscillating emotionally it's fear or greed right and you can distill that down to it's not enough either mm-hmm. i'm not enough uh what's in my bank is not enough what um where my you know my kids' accomplishments, they're not enough. Everything is about aggrandizement, right? You're always creating more and more, but it's, is it ever enough, right? So I'll, I'll connect with tycoons. I'll um, coach, you know, high executive, uh, high level executives, and they still have that. And then all the way and on the juniors, they still have that. So this is such a recurring thought, is it ever enough? And when we can come out of those cycles of fear and greed, and we can be, then when we're right now, and we can be right here, then you feel that enoughness, you feel that wholesomeness, because you're no longer in the chase. Um, so I think that's I feel like uh, that really precipitates with so many, obviously with my experience, but also so many of the clients that we've, you know, worked with in the past, dealing with stress, dealing with anxiety, depression. It's a sense that whatever is done, no matter how glorious their achievements are, there's something that there's an inadequacy that's left. And, and constantly connecting to that inadequacy as your motivating driver is exhausting. I just wonder uh, as well, um, because I know we all based here in Hong Kong, um, for if you use and listeners, um, in terms of the, 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 the environment and context, um, because Hong Kong is, is well, probably known um, for being a city that's yeah. driven by greed and money, yeah. or at least the finance uh, industry mm-hmm. is really high on the list. Um, so how do you deal with that if you literally as an individual basically in at, at the center of yeah. of what the problem is I, absolutely 100% Oscar i think that's why even like the catchphrase of inspire yoga it's it's all about 
creating an antidote for the fast paced lifestyle, you know, this go, go, go mentality, this sense of um, running around and just frantically being in action, whether it's at work or even socially, you know, just filling up the calendar. So, so what we try to do is create, create an oasis of time with yourself, right? Time where you can stop on your functioning level, but, and you can have time to recalibrate. And that's also when you create space, mental space and physical space to also navigate where is it that I want to go rather than just being, rather than just feeling like you're on a treadmill and the speedometer is going up and up and up, actually stop and say, where am I going? What is the destination? Right. And so that when we have that sense of purpose, that also really drives our motivation, but also drives our energy because there's a, a value alignment there. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really interesting in the, in the treadmill, because you, you've talked, there's a number of metaphors. It's the idea of doing and the treadmill and fart and speed. And, um, you know, and, and I, I think the world, the world is, is going in that direction. So more doing, you know, it's, it's the, the idea of, of do not think and mm. action and an action bias everywhere and, and, and the, the VUCA, the speed mm. of the world. Absolutely. So, so if you, do you, do you see this becoming a sort of a society wide challenge that we're, we're going to end up with a, with a bunch of people um, struggling to find meaning across entire societies or indeed are we already there? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's why they call it a rat race, right? We're just we're just constant, constantly in action, um, and yeah, we there is a a part of us that is called to engage. It's called to act and to do and to create. But we are human beings, right? So also giving ourselves that necessary time to be, to be in that space. Um, and I think that that helps to also kind of channelize how our efforts are, are optimized in the doing. So I, you know, for me, that's what spirituality means. It's not about creating a hermitage and being recluse and switching off to the material world. It's about how we can be agile, how we can be flexible in when we're doing, we do it with 100%. And then when we charge, we actually do give ourselves that 100% recharge so that it propels, it's like a springboard. It propels how, how high we jump, but then also how deep we, all, how deep we, we come to know ourselves as well. Um, with the, with the way the world is at the moment and you know, the levels of mental health issues, I would, I would suggest that we are there. You know, we are at a, a place where we've celebrated the, the doership so much, but at what cost, right? Because I'll have, as I said, I'll have people who are so accomplished come to me and, and they're, they're breaking down, you know, they're coming to me for depression or they're coming to me for anxiety because they, they feel so uncomfortable just being 
being by themselves. And I think this has also been a real eye-opening time with, you know, COVID and the lockdowns that we're so used to, to running. We're so used to being everywhere that now having that guard down and saying, no, you, you're, you have to ad- adhere to social distancing. We have to adhere to a lockdown. You can't go out um, as much as you want to. That's been very, very confronting for a lot of people. And that's where also you see that loneliness spike because they're not used to. They're not used to sitting by themselves. Why? Because how confronting is it to put a mirror to your mind, right? You're now, you're now challenged by all the thoughts that you were entertaining, but before we would be in a place where we could easily distract we could easily numb ourselves, move away from all of the I'm not good enough thought patterns. You know, 70% of what we entertain in our mind is negative. You know, think about a good thing and have that sit. Have a bad experience. Even a year, two years later, we remember it with such detail, right? We, we recall and we... Um, we have this negative bias, even neurologically, on with when it comes to the mind to think of, of the bad. And so when in that way, we've been so used to kind of deflecting that by distracting and um, keeping ourselves busy that we don't have to actually sensitize to what it is that we're thinking about, that now it's become such a huge problem um, around mental health. So. I definitely think that this time has been a time of reflection. How, are, how have we been operating and how sustainable are these operating systems? You know, um, what are we searching for? At the end of the day, whatever we do, we're searching from ha- for happiness, right? We, we, want, we want a sense of happiness. We want a sense of fulfillment from what we do. But, you know, it doesn't matter how many zeros there are in your bank balance. It's no guarantee for happiness. It doesn't matter, you know, you can have your favorite chocolate cake, one slice, two slices, three slices. There's a diminishing margin from the external. And you know that there's a, there's a deep reservoir of joy and it's always from within, right? Because if it was a one size fits all, then we would all be searching for the same thing or the same magic pill or whatever to give us the happiness. But we all see that or we connect to it in different ways. And so, uh, you know, a meaningful conversation with a good friend that could bring me such fulfillment. For you, maybe just walking in nature for half an hour can give you such fulfillment. So it's about finally understanding that a sense of happiness is really derived from, from our inner environment rather than having to manufacture a specific external environment that we tend to be bought into. 
I see huge parallels with what you're saying to Brené Brown's work on on you know being the anxious generation and the numb generation simultaneously because we're anxious, we numb, and mm. you know, and, and so you you get locked into this spiral of anxiety, numb it, more anxiety, numb it. Things in my head saying I'm not good enough, on etc. Mm. etc. So I see see huge parallels, um, and and you know, and, and her is one of the most popular TED talks ever. So yeah. so it's obviously it suggests as as you said there's society this is a societal level thing so so assuming that that most people who would listen to this sort of recognize some of this in themselves what what doorway opening tactics might there be to help them take these first steps into into um self-awareness and and meditation and and yoga and the kind of stuff you do yeah thank thanks for that i mean even when I was in college, I remember being really anxious about my, about my exams. And just as a way of procrastinating, I would roll out my mat and I would do some yoga practice. And I realized how the movement helped to, to almost let go of the jitters so that when I sat to the revise, I was more focused and I was, um, it was clearer in our mind, in my mind. So movement is definitely something that, you know, we can all prescribe to. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, training for a marathon. As I said, just a simple walk, just um, a few stretches. It's basically to bring an awareness to what's going on physically, tangibly, because how often do we notice our body when we're well? But how often do we notice our body when we're in pain, right? It's almost a signal. So I would say... Um, definitely you know just bringing a sense of movement so that we can connect to that body and mind you know and that wholesomeness there for me a big turning point was when I really discovered breath work that was basically when I learned that each of our emotions before we react the first place that we hold it is our breath Think about it. How does your breath respond when you're angry versus when you're sad? You know, there's that the heaviness when we're sad or when we're feeling joyful, there's a lightness, right? And so we hold so much of that emotional kind of backlog in our breath, but sometimes we don't, because we're so used to numbing, we don't even realize that that's the emotional Um, vibration that we carry. So by disrupting our regular breathing pattern and recreating it helps to recreate and almost distill away from any of the emotions that we've been carrying in the back, in the back burner. So I think breath work is, works magically. Um, Simply noticing your breath, you know, and a simple count, you know, just breathing in for four and breathing out for eight. The inhalations are activating, so it works with the sympathetic nervous system and the exhalations are relaxing. So working with the parasympathetic nervous system. So I tend to, with my clients, I tend to elongate the breath out because they're already in a place of stress. But for for somebody who maybe is feeling lethargic, who's feeling exhausted, active inhalations would work beautifully as well. So, 
you know, a simple count like um, inhale for four, exhale for eight, just to again, reset and bring a bit more emphasis to that rest response, to the rest digest response so that we can kind of find that equilibrium again and finding our balance. And then when we're more entrained with the breath, we realize that our, our mind becomes much more focused. So, you know, if you're breathing and you're noticing your breath, can you be planning for the agenda you've got on tomorrow? The moment you're in the future, you've lost the present, right? So the breath is such a beautiful tool to entrain the mind to stay in the present because the moment you are swaying between past and, and future, you're no longer aware, you know, where you're not no longer feeling that tangible experience of the present. And that's why the, the breath for me is the vehicle of connecting mind and body, because we can first feel the expansion of the inhalation, the contraction of the exhalation in the body. And then it connects the mind because it stays still, it stays present and it stays focused. And um, Neelam, yeah, so you, you, you mentioned a little bit more about the practice of uh, breath work. Um, but what I'd like to know as well, um, I'm fairly curious that you said there was a point where you started focusing more on breath work. Um, why was that? Why would you not know what was that point where, hey, this breath work is actually more relevant than I initially thought? Yeah, amazing. Um, so for me, even the practice of yoga, you know, yoga, the definition now becomes it or the connotation is so much around okay, what you do on the mat, your, your asanas or your practice or your postures and your poses and how bendy you are and whether you can balance on one leg or whether you can stand upside down. That's such a big connotation of what yoga is. But actually yoga in Sanskrit is yug, which is unite. And what are we uniting? We're uniting body and mind. So if we're still on the mat, with that anxious mentality, then what good is this practice? It's the same as competing for a sport. There's a reason why um, yoga is not in the Olympics. It's not competitive, right? It's a place where we can draw inward, where we can access um, our own awareness of what's happening what do i need how do i find my balance how do i connect to a to my own wellspring of joy and so for me breath is so important because it connects the movement um but then it also connects the mind right so it, it, the the unification is front and center to the practice it's body and mind because i'll you know i'll have clients who have come after practicing in a studio for eight, nine years, and they've come because they've injured themselves. Oh, why did you, how come you stretched so far? The person next to me could reach their, toe, um, their nose to their knees. So I felt like I need to, because after so long, I need to show that I can do more. I can do these advanced poses. And so this to me is, again, you're operating from the sense of the ego. It's not about what you're doing on a material level. It's about how that material plane can get you a can bring a gateway 
to the to the more transcendental, to the more, um, to a deeper connection. So the breath work for me is so important because it clears the mind. It brings in a, a physical awareness, but then it also is the stepping stone. So the first stepping stone of yoga is the asana. So first you can't, you have to go from gross to subtle. So you have to go from what's most tangible, your body, okay, we can be aware of our body through the poses. Once we're aware of the body, then let's graduate to the next stage. It's like doing, you know, primary one 200 times, you want to go to primary two, you want to go further in your education. So the next the graduate after you graduate from the postures, then you go to the breath, then you take more of the subtle, you understand the subtleties of how when is it that I'm holding my breath? Oh, when I'm scared, I hold my breath. So you notice, oh, when I'm scared and I'm, I'm holding my breath, what if I breathe? Then I can release my fear. So you start to notice the, the relationship between your emotions, your mind and the breath. And, the, and then after the, once we're kind of more versed or more practiced with breath work, then we enter the phase of meditation. So it is like a, a gradual approach and you need all three in different stages, but then you're, you're at a place where now don't just stay there and keep assessing and keep judging and keep planning on the breath. Let it go, let it go. And then you come to a place of being. And that's where, you know, you really see those spikes in, um, in the gamma rays or how the brain functions too. You're not in beta, you're not in just that stress mode, but you're able to actually transcend that to really feeling a heightened energy, but also allowing a sense of surrender to, to the planning, to the doing, to the process, and just experience that, um, that joy or that, that energy from that stillness from the nothingness and how, you know, when you're in a place of such joy, you know, watching a sunset or enjoying um, your favorite food, there's a moment of blankness, right? There's that moment of quiet in the mind. So that's what meditation gets to, that quiet. And, you know, that's something that I really propagate now because so many of, you know, our clients and the people that we deal with are suffering, are suffering from insomnia, are suffering from a place where they can't switch off their mental chatter. And, and we need both. We need that action to do, but we also need inaction. We also need surrender to allow sleep to come, right? The more we say, oh, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep 10 more hours, five more hours, the more anxious we become, um, lying down, knowing full well that the body and the mind need the rest. But when do we allow that permission? So mm. that's, the, that's the kind of process in which we take them through movement, through mindfulness and then meditation. So I've got, this is going to take me in a slightly different direction than I was expecting to go, but let, let's, let's see where it, where, if it works. So, so at one level, you're, you're talking about this sort of transcendental awareness of self and body and, 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 and the mind-body combination, which you can, it, it is, is part of the rest and rejuvenation process to enable people to, to have that cognitive ability on a regular basis, et cetera, which, which is wonderful, that transcend, transcendental thing. 
I'm, I'm looking more at sort of the return of investment here when if someone was bringing you in to do that, yes, at one level, they, they can sort of relax and, and, and do that kind of work. But I'm interested in more, in the, instead of the transcendental, the poise. Yeah. So when you're in the middle of the busyness and the doing, mm. when, what, what can you do to activate to, to, to these, these moments where you're able to have better ideation and you're able to calm down and, and manage people in a way that's, that's far more useful than this panicky rushing, I've got no time, I've got no time. So do, do, you, do you see evidence of that poise as well as the transcendental moment? Um, the, you know, the transcendental state is um, one side of things, but I feel like the objective is poise. It's, um, it's equipoise in, you know, the yoga sutras, that's what we're calling that fine middle ground where we're optimizing the right and left brain. We're using the whole brain when it comes to ideation. But in order to do that, we need that transcendental side because that's where it's almost like the muscle. We exercise that. So, you know, exercising your, your physical muscles so that at a point of crisis, you can run, you can sprint, your, your muscles are ready to take on that load, right? And so that's exactly why the practice is there. The practice is not there. You're not, you're not doing yoga or you're not in that. Uh, it's not that, oh, I've practiced, I'm done. And, and here, here I go back to my stress zone. The practice is there. So it's our warm up. It's our way of connecting to, to disconnecting so that in the, in, that, in the thick of things, in the vortex, we can create a, a moment where we're in the eye, where we're still, where we're calm. And then we can come from a place of responding rather than reacting. We can create better decisions and we can see things more holistically or with a wider lens rather than holding on to coming from a place of fear, coming from a place of greed, you create more of a, a wider vision. So even in the transcendental, you know, we're connecting to ourselves, being, feeling that quiet within, and then realizing that, that we share that in common with everybody, right? So it's also expanding our lens rather than just seeing me and mine, to then see we and ours. Yeah. So when we are in a corporate environment, where when we are working in organizations, we can aspire in the, in the collective goal rather than, um, as we see so much, you know, just trying to cut the biggest slice for ourselves. And so I really, I really see that it's the, as I said, like, the beauty of all of this is the agility of how we can go from the material to the transcendental, the transactional to the transcendental. And that to me is, is that is why you're flexing this muscle is why you're exercising it so that we can be agile in the movement. And when it's getting too transactional or where we're feeling, okay, this is really my ego driving. We can take a step back, we can recalibrate, we can find the, the wholeness, and then we can make a decision or we can respond in, from that place, you know? 
I think your, your passion when you're talking about this, the, the, so the last couple of questions, you, the, the, the energy in you is, is just gone up about four levels. So the passion, the passion in this is, is, is clear. So sort of a couple of questions now is, is one is, is how do you transmit that passion to, to, to busy executives so that they understand it? I mean, that, that's the key, the key challenge, I think, for the work that you're doing. Yeah. And two, uh, which we'll sort of go to second, and it is the energy that you're talking that I've just seen in you. You know, is that is that what you're creating in other people in the work about the work they do and the life they live? So how do we how do we create this? Right? How do we share this energy? And you can read books about it. We can intellectualize it. We can compare and contrast. And this is all still on the same domain, which is the level of the mind. So my objective here is not so much to convince you that, oh, there is another way of managing your stress. There is a way where you can be poised in your decision making and feel a real fullness of life. It's, it's, my objective is to make you experience it. Because it's the experience that will be the driver. Otherwise, it's just one more thing on your to-do list. Okay, got to do my 10 breaths because this is what my yoga coach has told me. Or this is what I've been told will help lower my, my blood pressure. You know, And so it's about that experience. So then it becomes integrated in your lifestyle. And you know, amidst all of this, I... I've never been a morning person. I've always loved my lions. But once I connected to my practice, I'm up at 5.30 before the kids are awake to do my practice so that I feel whole, so that I can give from a place of abundance, right? You can only give what you have. If I'm in pain, I'm going to give pain. If I feel content, that's what I'm going to share. So it's that. I want to give you that experience so that that's what you operate from. And then the experience itself should, is your driving force, you know, is why you do it again, not because it's indoctrinated, not because it's out of sheer willpower, but you create a self-discipline. You put it on yourself because you can see how it changes the fabric of your day. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we go into organizations and we bring, of course, we first have to um, adhere to the intellectual mind, right? We mm -hmm. first have to meet you where you're at, but then it's about up-leveling too, right? So first we'll talk about um, how emotions affect us. How, what's the in, what's the interchanging relationship between emotions and energy? How we can um, create more like of a positive mindset. But then it also I want to bring you to an experience of stillness, so that you feel oh actually, I'm I'm fine as I am. I'm great where I am, and I want to operate from that place of greatness, and rather than a feeling empty rather than feeling a lack and operating out of a scarcity mindset. And so that's really what we, you know, engender in, in the programs that we offer on the corporate level. 
experience it, see the difference, try it out. And there's a huge benefit in doing it collectively because you have an accountability partner. There's somebody you can talk about. Oh, you know, you look like you're, you look like you're dealing with a lot. You know, try that 10-minute breathing exercise. See how, how it works for you. It made me feel so rested. I could go to sleep um, so much faster than I used to. And it's these things, right? It's these things. Once we're aware of the causation, then we're more, we're more prescribed to, to trying it on and keeping it because it fits better. And so that's exactly what we're trying to do. Obviously, it has to come from a top-down approach where people can now talk about it, can share their experiences, and that they have these role models that allow it, right? Rather than sneaking out for a 20-minute break so that they can do their meditation. If it's widespread and it's open and it's encouraged, then, you know, just, just imagine the levels of stress or the, the levels, the operating energy in that office or in that workplace. Mm. So, yeah. Um, that also brings me to, uh, Neelam, to the, to the last um, uh, question that I have for you. You spoke quite a bit about um, experience, but also imagination, right? So imagine what this uh, could look like. So I want to actually um, look at looking forward. Um, I guess well-being in the industry that you that you're in has come, no, has developed over the last few decades. Um, and so I'd like to hear from you how you see this um, developing over the let's say the next uh, two three decades uh, going forward, uh, and especially the experience part. Yeah, referring to how that evolves at sort of organizational level. Yeah, no. That- it's, you know, it's an exciting world ahead. I mean, even now we're, it's been a huge disruption, right? Where we've actually taken this, taken this time to reflect on what works and what doesn't and where we thought there were hard and fast rules. Now there are gray areas or we can have, we have noticed that, okay, we don't have to be fo- uh, fixed at a certain location at a certain time in order to be productive. So I, I have seen just so much change, especially in the last, I would say, like five years before to get um, someone to come to a yoga class, it would, it would have to be a promise of, okay, flat abs, strong back, toned legs, you know, it was all about the physicality. Now there's such a shift into mental health and, um, I really see is that as the forefront. Because I mean, as I said, starting with the gross and going more subtle, right? And so now even with the coronavirus, we've, we've come to such a standstill globally because there's a threat on our physical health, right? What about the mental health pandemic that we're enduring? Right? There's, a, there's a clear symptom, oh, okay, you know, s- symptoms of pneumonia. So that's all of these things are heaviness of breath. And so that's why there's fear around uh, the coronavirus. But what about how contagious um, even a, a negative vibration can be? You know, you could sit and be upset with some 
something that happened. You take that feeling of resentment or anger or frustration. You go home, you let it out on your spouse, your kids, your cat. There's like a spiral of the contagion of emotion. And so I think that's really where we're at now. Starting to understand our our mental environment is also our responsibility to upkeep. You know, we talk about dental hygiene. What about mental hygiene? What are we doing to clear away from all the all the load that we're carrying in our in our vibration, in our energy, in our thoughts? Because that will affect our relationships, that will affect our capacity, our productivity, and our efficiency. And so I I've definitely seen much more of a, a stimulus around meditation, around mindfulness, around clearing and cleansing from a, thought, from a thought level, but then also going a little deeper and understanding, you know, where are our motivations? What, what emotional frequency are we holding? And what is the driver? Is it something that, as I said, is it fear? You know, is a fight or flight? Is it coming from stress, or is it, is it coming from joy? Is it coming from a sense of um, contribution? I know that that for me was a huge, a huge distinction in my life. I felt like so much of my dissatisfaction being in finance was because I couldn't, I didn't feel like I was making a meaningful difference to anybody else. And that we were just all, you know, eyes on end of year bonus. And so it was all about me and mine. Once I moved and just started teaching yoga, literally, Oscar, I had, I just put up flyers around my neighborhood, not even knowing who would show up. And there would be times where no one would come. And there would be times where five, six people would come. But the amount of fulfillment I had knowing that in one hour I could help someone connect to their breath a little deeper, connect to that just a semblance of inner peace or connect to um, the strength in their back so they're no longer feeling back pain, to change, to change on these very small ways but making big differences. And it was in that, in that sense of contribution that you know, honestly led me to where I am with the team and with the programs that we have on offer now. But I think when we're able to then move from, from a selfish kind of fear-based mentality to a more selfless um, community-wide contribution mentality, that's where I see wellness really start to, to pivot in terms of... Uh, the, the values and the vision of what companies and individuals can do. Thanks, Nina. That was, that was a fascinating answer. And I, I think you're very right about the, the toxic behaviours and emotions. I think the research suggests they're at least three times more contagious than, than the positive behaviours and emotions. So it means if you're, if you're toxic, then everybody else becomes toxic. But if you're positive, then everybody gives you all the work to do. So either way, sadly, you lose. Which sort yeah. of takes me to the, to the last, my last question, which is the one we ask everyone, which is we, we frame it as the $9 trillion question in, in that... Organi contemporary organizations are probably 
uh, behavior in, in contemporary organizations is, is costing them about $9 trillion a year across the OECD. So, so the way I understand what you're talking about, it, it's creating this transcendental and poised self that has energy to do the work. Mm-hmm. If we were doing that as, as part of organizational practice across the globe, what kind of world would we be living in? A world where everyone would have a deep sense of belonging. You know, I think so much of what we're experiencing now is a sense of isolation because it's up to us to have our back, to um, ensure that we have enough to pay our bills, to um, stand out in some way for that recognition. So I, I would actually say it would be a world where we would have a deep sense of belonging because we'd be using the right and the left brain. We'd be operating from a place of balance. That also really sparks not only intelligence, but intuition. It really brings about um, a direction where there's a coherence in what we're thinking, feeling, and doing. And this is the principle of integrity right there's then if there's no inner conflict within if we're not carrying stress within us we're carrying smiles on our faces what would the world be like where everyone has a smile on our face would there be space for violence wouldn't it be a much much more peaceful place well, that's certainly a world I want to live in. I don't know about you, Oscar. <laughs> Sounds fantastic, Neelam. Um, thanks a lot for your time, uh, Neelam. I uh, really yeah, enjoyed this uh, conversation. It was a very different one than uh, the one <laughs> we usually have, but it was very inspiring. Uh, Richard as well, thanks a lot. And, um, thank, I'll you see you. thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.